Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones. It's a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. You resolve the melody there. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy, and I feel like you're showing off that you don't have a sore throat. Still, people are starting to get worried, Sid. I read on the blogs, people are like... (laughs) Is she okay? We're all really worried about Sydney. I don't read the... Now, listen. It's two episodes you in a row. Don't, you don't read the blogs. I, I, I don't... Are there still blogs? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I try not to know. I, I ran for office. I try to avoid public commentary on my, anymore. myself as an individual. Do you know how many great hot takes I had about Avatar Way of Water that I just had to sit on? Because they weren't a TikTok and they weren't an Instagram. It was mm-hmm. a tweet and I uh, maybe a series of great... Great tweets. Which the only thing that I regret about that is um, then I had to hear them. Yeah, that's true. That's that. Are you happy now, Elon? <laughs> now my wife has to hear my it's, Avatar it's way truly of water the, hot. The takes. worst thing you've done. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't want anybody to worry. Why do you keep telling me to worry so often and talk about how much pain you're in? If I, you don't want no, me to that's worry. Not true. Say, Justin, I can't do another show. I don't, I've never said that. I've never said that. It will go away. Whatever is wrong with me. I'm not going to think about it. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, a winning strategy. For everyone who is in healthcare, they're nodding going, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, yes, this is what we do. Don't think about it. That's perfect. That's exactly, that's the right response. Everybody who's not in healthcare, they're going, what? Why? I understand. I'm fine. I'm getting better. I'm really, I'm fine. You said this morning, I'm not getting better. (laughs) Which is it? You can't I've, give a different message I to the like, kids, to our listener kids, <laughs> and not to me. I feel like, like I'm not a, that strong. I can't have a stiff upper lip. Like I said, I either think this is the uh, I don't I don't want to get into my own personal medical. I mean, I'm not being weird about it. I just I don't think that's very interesting. Just guarant- it's not fun for you listeners to have to hear my theories on why I've had a sore throat for over a week now. Just guarantee to me that by the next episode it'll be 100 percent better, and then nobody I has to worry about I it. I can't guarantee. Listen, I I would have thought that a few days ago, but. I've plateaued, bud. Oh, man. Um, that's not what we're here to talk about. For one some of, reason. One of our <laughs> one of our listeners wrote an email, thank you, Mark, um, asking if we had covered anthrax. And I thought, well, yeah, sure, Mark. I mean, we've been doing this show for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Uh, certainly, at some point. And I couldn't find an episode that we did on anthrax. It's a funny thing when you do a show as long as ours. We get a lot of emails from people who are like, how could you guys not have done a show on this? And then I'm like, let me 
look on Google. We did do that. Why mm-hmm. do you not Google before you suggest an episode? But the, then even we can't keep track of what episodes No, we've I don't done. blame you because I can't keep track either. And sometimes I go, oh, surely we did. And then I go, oh, we didn't? Or I'm like, absolutely, I haven't. I've done that, actually. I've started to research again and then gone, oh, wait, this feels really familiar. I've done this episode. <laughs> um, so we haven't. I think we have, like, touched on it in a variety of different episodes. There's lots of aspects to the history of, like, the discovery of anthrax and then its use as a bioterrorism weapon and things that I think we have touched upon in different episodes, but mm-hmm. we've never just talked a whole episode about anthrax. Okay. <laughs> At least I hope, as far as Google showed me. I didn't go through. There's probably like a page where I could look through every podcast we've ever done just in a list, huh? I mean, we have uh, transcriptions for a lot of them on yeah. our website. That would take a long time. Family. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's old. It's interesting. I think a lot of people hear anthrax and it's scary. Like the word, the word is kind of scary. It is kind of scary sound. Well, depending on context, it's kind of rocking too. I mean, it's like a cool word. Like it's like a band a, too, right? A, yeah, it's a band. How is that not part of your research? I figured the second half of the episode is about anthrax the band. I am a scientist, sir. <laughs> well, music is, is there's a lot of science I am, in music. I am not a rock and roller. Um, Are you about to tell me something about anthrax the band before I mean, they're I out there on the road, hun. They're getting it done. January 17th, they're going to be in Boise. Get out there. Do you know where the word comes from? You have the band no, <laughs> anthrax. The word, I'm looking right at it. <laughs> the word anthrax. They're not coming to West Virginia or Ohio. So, okay. It's a Fine. reference to coal from the Greek oh. anthracis. It's for, it's for coal because um, the the skin lesions, when you get the cutaneous form, the skin form of it, mm-hmm. the things that appear on your skin are really black. You get these big black scars. But anyway, there's these big black, like, sort of scabby lesions, and they look like coal. Weird. So Hippocrates called it anthrax because uh, coal, uh, anthrax right. there. All right. I feel like as a West Virginian, you should have oh. known that. So it's caused by a gram-positive rot of bacteria, Bacillus anthracis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it forms the, the thing about anthrax, and I think the, the reason that we talk about it as like a, I don't want to say a good bioterrorism agent, like this is not a morality <laughs> I don't mean good. You know what I mean? I'm There's using effective is maybe a word. Effective. Effective would be a word. Um, it forms an endospore. So it's got like this spore coat around it that protects it. Mm-hmm. So it can like lie dormant for a really long time. It can survive for a long time before like in the right conditions, it comes back to life and causes an infection and then beca- and then causes harm. So because it has that spore form, it makes it an, a useful agent if you're trying to, like, put something in a powder, for instance. I'm really sorry. The cat is trying to pull the headphones off the thing. It's very distracting. I'm well, sorry, everyone, well, about our cat. let her. She's, you know, she's in charge. Okay. Um, <sighs> the spores can live, like, usually in, like, dirt or on animals. Honestly, most of the time, that's where people have— we'll talk about where people have contracted anthrax from, like, touching and becoming in contact with animals. Um, they can be out in the dirt. Uh, you can— there's different ways you can, like, have the spores enter your body, and the different ways that they enter your body causes different kinds of disease. I feel like it's useful to sort of go over what anthrax is as a disease because chances are you've never seen it. Chances are you don't know somebody who's had an anthrax. Yeah, that's accurate. That's yeah. 100% right. So uh, you can get it by either inhaling it. So the little spores are they're very tiny, so you can breathe them in. Um, you can eat contaminated 
you know, animal products mm. and that, and you can get a, a gastrointestinal form, a GI form of it. Um, so you can ingest it, um, or you can get it through like an open wound. So, and you're thinking about people who are handling animals or handling animal coats or hides or whatever, and might have like a cut or a break in the skin or something like that. So there's a different sort of ways you can come in contact with the anthrax. Okay, I'm going to sound stupid for a second, mm-hmm. so help me out, okay? I I think because I grew up in a time period, and we're, we're going to get to this, where a, a notable, quote-unquote, anthrax attack mm-hmm. is kind of what brought anthrax onto my radar, like a lot of other people. And I think I'm unclear as to what, like, th- there was a lot of discussion about it being like like a powder at that time that was in, like, envelopes. The, is it a like a thing, like a microscopic bug that we're passing back and forth to each other, like COVID or the cold or the flu? Or is it like a substance that makes you sick, like asbestos or other toxins? You were playing with the cat, so you missed this part. Mm -hmm. I wasn't playing with the cat. (laughs) I was trying to keep the cat from destroying our recording. It is a bacteria. You're right. I understand that. A gram-positive rod. Right. Bacillus anthracis. Yes. So it is a germ. Okay. It is not a substance. It's not asbestos. It's okay. a germ. Okay. It's a you know living organism. Um, but you cannot pass it back and forth to each other. That is not the way we get Got anthrax. It. You Got get it. it from coming in contact with the spores out in the environment, and then you you catch it from that. You get it. It's not contagious. You become infected, but it is not contagious. Got it. If okay. I have it, I'm not going to give you anthrax. Got it. Um, so uh, and and there and like I said, the reason it works well in a powder is I mean it, it's it's a microorganism. You can't see it. Like I can't have a pile of anthrax here on the table and you see it. Um, but because it has that endospore form that's very hardy and survives well for long periods of time, you can put it in a powder or something. And because it can be inhaled, if you have a very light powder that you have also put a vial of this uh, microorganism into, okay, then you inhale right. the powder and in the powder are the spores. Got it. Right. I'm with you now. Thanks for clarifying Yeah, that. or like drop it from a plane that way. Whoa. We'll get there. Dang. Sid, um, <laughs> you're really ratcheting up the tension. It's like a bomb villain sitting across from me. Well, uh, so this leads to different forms of anthrax. Like I said, there's the skin form or cutaneous form. It causes these like blisters that then you get like swelling and then the, the classic lesions. And if you look at pictures, they're like these big black, like I said, they're eschars. They're like thick black skin lesions. Um they and then like they can ulcerate. They can be anywhere on the face, neck, arm, wherever you come in contact with the with the bacteria, right? Um, and I mean, this is yes, this is this is all treatable. By the way, now in the early days of anthrax, it wasn't. It's all treatable now, um, but there's still it's still a big deal, right? It's still a very dangerous disease to get any of the forms. Um, the form where you inhale it can make you really sick. It obviously it infects your lungs at that mm-hmm. point. You get pneumonia like symptoms, and you can get pretty sick from inhaling the spores. There's, like I said, the GI form, which is less common, but you get, like, diarrhea. It can be bloody diarrhea and vomiting and stomach aches, and, uh, you know, you can get very sick from ingesting it. And there's also a newer form, and by newer, I mean, like, in the last decade or so. So newer in the sense of anthrax, which has been around since ancient times, um, where you can actually get it from injection. So we have found some cases in people who use injection drugs where, and it's similar to, like, the skin form, except you're actually... In, end up injecting the bacteria into the vessel. So it's a more invasive and quicker spreading cutaneous form. 
Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes. So, and each of these are slightly different in terms of like the approach to treatment and management, how severe we expect the disease course to be, and what the mortality rate is, is different for all of these different things. For most people, you develop it within a week of exposure, although it can take up to 60 days. That does allow for a little bit of a uh, prophylaxis period, prophylaxis period. So like if you've been exposed for sure, absolutely to anthrax, and we know this, which would be hard to know, right? But like in a bioterrorism incident, we would know. We can give you an antibiotic to take for 60 days to t- try to prevent this exposure from turning into infection. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's, that kind of lead time is helpful sometimes. Um, like I said, it's been mentioned since ancient times. I thought this was interesting. Some historians think that it is the fifth biblical plague, the one where all the livestock died. Mm. May have been anthrax. Although I, I was reading about that and there was like, there are these like historical arguments. I was like, no, it was probably actually this or it could have been this. I don't know. I don't have a scientific opinion on that. Okay. It may have been anthrax that killed all those, all that livestock. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's true. Um, there were scattered descriptions throughout ancient China, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, and of course Egypt. Um, we see the first real clinical, like the things we know are anthrax. I mean, obviously Hippoc- Hippocrates named it, but like to actually say people are getting it, here's what it looks like, here's a clinical description. We don't really get until the 1700s mm-hmm. from Moret and Fournier. Uh, Fournier, I saw that name and I was like, I know this name. If you're in medicine, you know the name Fournier because um, he famously, Jean-Alfred Fournier is his full name, is a doctor who has a a type of gangrene named after him. What an honor. Fournier's gangrene, which is, of course, gangrene of the scrotum. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. I know it well. You do. (laughs) Oh, I don't. It just sounds very unpleasant. It's a bad gangrene to get. As a scrotum haver... It sounds like one of the worst ones you can get. <laughs> it, it's unpleasant. It's a very serious gangrene. One of the that rare was... unpleasant gangrenes. <laughs> so, uh, I, not this has nothing. By the way, the fact that Fournier also named scrotum gangrene after himself. Well, somebody probably he probably didn't name it after himself. Somebody else did. And he was oh, probably this like, one? "Cool, that kind of gangrene. I want to be remembered forever." <laughs> Attach me to it. Listen, as a as a as a practicing physician right now in this point in history, I will tell you that if I get anything named after me, I'll be happy. I don't care what it is. I don't care how um, unpleasant or gross or weird. If I get anything named after me, I'll consider it a win. I got a millipede named after me. Unless it's like unless it's like doing a bad thing. Unless it's like oh, you pulled a Sydney, meaning like. You misdiagnose somebody. You know what I mean? Like, unless it's a bad. But, like, if, if I get my name on something, that's just, that's a big win for me. Yeah, the McElroy Millipede is <laughs> named after, that's named after our family. So, you could, I think that, that's, that's I, the, that wasn't even the name that I got. Like, that's not even my original name. Yeah, that's fair. That's not, yeah. That's fair. Name something the Smurl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just it, got an email from a listener who named their child after you. That's got to count. That's a really good point. Yeah. Thank you, by the way. You know who you are. Thank you. That It made me cry, and it's been a rough week, and I needed that, so thank you. And good luck, little Sydney. In, Which is it, what I say every morning <laughs> as she goes off to work. In 1876, um, anthrax helped play a role in developing Koch's postulates. We've talked about Robert Koch and his postulates before on this show. How we figured out, like, how do you prove that a certain germ causes a certain illness? Koch's postulates. Yes. Um, He was investigating an outbreak of an illness in farm animals. Uh, At this point, they'd already, like, found the bacteria, like all these 
previous experiments throughout the 1800s, they'd actually seen the bacteria, um, but Koch wanted to prove it. So he took a cow that had anthrax and he took some material from the cow's spleen that had these little germs, these rods that he suspected were anthrax in it. And he used a sliver of wood. Like he got some cow spleen on a little splinter and poked a mouse oh. with it. Oh. Like, and it said like near their tail, by its tail. I don't know if they mean, let's say by its tail. So I don't mean like in the tail or at the base of the tail or like in his butt next to his tail. So he poked the mouse with the splinter of cow spleen. The mouse got sick. He got some material from that mouse spleen, poked some other mice anyway, was able to then isolate the bacteria from further spleens down the road. Lots of spleens in this story. And... um proved that this was the bacteria that was causing this problem and, all and developed mice, his postulates. All the mice got better and had families and a successful career in the arts. So they were fine too. Except they had had splenectomies, of course. Other than so that. So there's some, there's some you, other considerations you your, when you're... You don't need your spleen. When you don't, when you don't need it. I mean, there's some things you have to consider when they, you don't have they a spleen. Were living, like they were, give some specific yeah. concerns. But. Yeah, but they were fine. <laughs> but they didn't have spleens. Um, so after all this work from Coke, Louis Pasteur decided like, because I guess they were kind of rivals and Pasteur was like, eh, I'm going to repeat all that just to make sure I buy it. Um, and also like, I'm going to make a vaccine because that would, like, I'm going to next level. I'm going to one-up you. Yeah. I'm going to do. I'm going to, you just came up with this problem. I'm going to fix it. And then there's no problem anymore, and everybody forget about you. And he did, and it, it's he did all these studies with it, and it's interesting. He proved stuff like that if you buried, so if an animal died of anthrax and it was buried, and then it's down in the dirt, and there's anthrax spores in the animal, like in the cadaver, um, that those spores could be carried to the surface of the soil by um, earthworms. Oh wow! Yeah, who then like poop. The spores back out uh, up on the surface of the. Isn't that wild? That's like totally like wild. to to sort of like find like where does anthrax live on Earth? There it is, huh. <laughs> earthworms. Um, so and then finally he did like I said the vaccine study where he did like a a live public demonstration of giving a bunch of um, vaccines. Uh, to sheep, and then these other sheep didn't get vaccines, and then he infected them all with anthrax, and all the ones who had the vaccine lived, and all the ones who didn't have the vaccine died. Boy, they were hard up mm -hmm. for entertainment back then, huh? I mean, a public demonstration of that does not sound particularly gripping. You do have to wait quite some time. It's not an instant thing, right? It's not like the elephant in the ACDC current. No, no. You kind of got to check back later, folks. I'm assuming I'm assuming there were like breaks, like nap times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, we got a churro stand. We got Rick's Old Fashioned Lemonade. <laughs> we got City Heat is going to come play a show. We got massing later on the main stage, and then we'll check and see if the sheep <laughs> So while everybody is waiting for these sheep to get anthrax or not, um, why don't you also take a break? All right. And we got to go to the belly department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that. no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky 
podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to... what is it? It's a tool, think of it as the palette. The palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Jay Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast, Go Fact Yourself? No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. Yes, well, lucky for you, Go Fact Yourself is back to being a live audience show. Woohoo! Yeah, we've got a free recording coming up on January 15th in Los Angeles and February 11th in Pasadena. And if you can't make it there, all of our recordings will still be available as a podcast. Twice a month, every month on MaximumFun.org. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. Hey there, it's Annabelle Gerwich. And I'm Laura House. We host Tiny Victories, the 15-minute podcast that's about the little things. Getting into the tiny victory frame of mind is about recognizing minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. Isn't it a wonderful day when the first password you try actually works? When it's freezing cold outside and toasty as all get out in my shower, my tiny victory is that I turn off the water and get on with my day. 
We can't change this big, dumb world, but we can celebrate the tiny wins. So join us on Maximum Fun or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get tiny! Okay, so obviously we're doing all these experiments in the 1800s. We're learning more about anthrax, about how you get it. Obviously, there's this livestock vaccine that's mm-hmm. now been invented, like just for animals so far. Um, and there are more cases of it. It starts to be known. This is a common name of it, wool sorters disease. Wool sorters mm-hmm. disease? Because oh. people who come in contact with wool from sheep were likely to get it because of the spores. of you know. Um, so it's really connected to that. Like that, it's funny because that was very much what you connected anthrax to prior to the biological weapon era, um, which is where we get in the 1900s. As I said, like it has this endospore form. It's useful if that is your aim, okay. unfortunately. Um, there is evidence that uh, the German army initially used it to infect livestock. Like that was sort of the first way to, to try like, to wipe out food sources. Yeah, exactly, for for um, allied nations. So you just, you you feed it to, you get, you put it in animal feed that is getting snuck to your enemies, cows. So, man, poor so cows, so rotten. Um and, uh, and and so back in World War One, this was being used um, during World War Two. At th- by this point in World War Two, we really understood like the the possibility, and we didn't yet have protections in place that said like you can't use biological weapons. Right? Those would come later. I mean, well, you can't. You're not supposed to. We have rules against that. If you can have rules against such things, we try to make rules against such things. Um, so during World War II, both the U.S. and the U.K. experimented with anthrax as a biological weapon, hmm. meaning, like, they were prepared to use it. I don't have evidence that they did, but they were ready, just in case, mm-hmm. to use it um, against the Nazis. So the U.S. filled 5,000 bombs with anthrax. Jeez. Just in case. Just in case. You never just in case. And and like I said, because similar to like the envelopes full of powder, if you drop a bomb full of anthrax over an area and the spores sort of float out over the area, you could infect a lot of people that way. Yeah. As I said, the UK also began to test um, bioweapons using anthrax. Um, specifically, they were testing it on this small island called Grunard Island. Um, and they uh, basically they would release these bombs of anthrax over the island where they had 80 sheep to see if, you know, would would the sheep get anthrax if you – same idea. Like, does this work? Um, and what they found is like, one, yes, you can give – yes, the sheep got anthrax, the sheep died. So, like, you could you could spread the, the biological weapon that way. But the other thing that they found out – is that once you do that, the spores are there for a very long time. So it's like a, I mean, if you're going to do that, you're really sort of salting the earth Mm -hmm. in an area for a while at least. Um, The island remained uninhabitable until 1986. And that was only because at that point they had to decontaminate it um, by soaking the island in a mixture of formaldehyde and seawater. Oh, my gosh. So that you could disinfect it, basically. Um, so it's – I don't think that you need me – I don't think my voice needs to be part of the chorus saying that biological weapons are inhumane and should never be used, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but another example of why these weapons were so incredibly dangerous, um, they're cruel, they're inhumane. You can't control the spread of 
disease. Although the other thing that made anthrax attractive to a lot of people who were trying to do this is is exactly what I told you. I can't give it to you. Mm-hmm. So you could target a population in a way that with some other germs you wouldn't be able to, right? Right. Like it, it was not going to escape its confines. Right. You you could accidentally end up infecting your own side, yeah. so to speak. Um, now, all of this use of anthrax and develop like experimentation and development and the understanding that like it is possible to use germs as weapons, which I mean, we have a whole history of this. So we could talk about smallpox, but right. but this is about anthrax. Um, there was growing international concern that this isn't a good idea, and so obviously we took steps to ban the use of biological weapons and to you know to put protections in place. We also destroyed a lot of um, stores of these germs. Not all. No one destroyed all of them. Everybody's got them somewhere. I keep a little bit. You got to keep a little bit just in case. Well, I mean, and that's the that's the thing, right? You never know what the other people right. are keeping. So everybody kept a little bit, but they did lead to destroys to destroying a lot of these stores. Um, and also it would lead to the creation of vaccines because all of a sudden, well, we don't know what they have, but if we vaccinate they, our team yeah. against it, we don't have to worry about it so much. Um, the first, like I said, the first, um, we had this vaccine that Pasteur had used in 1937. There was another one made, a live spore vaccine for animals um, that was done so well, it's still used in many countries today. Hmm. Uh, Max Stern made that. The first anthrax vaccine for humans was created in the 50s. Um, it was actually tested in a group of goat hair mill workers. Um, they were even give, either given the vaccine or placebo. They were followed up for a two-year period, and they found that the vaccine was 92.5% effective hmm. in preventing the skin form, the cutaneous form of anthrax, which is what you're most concerned with with people who are handling goat hair okay. all day, right? Um, so it was made available specifically to people work at, working in these kind of mills after that. It was really targeted at specific occupational exposures at first. Um it wouldn't be until 1970 that we—and this is always the history with vaccines. We've talked about them a lot on this show. You make your first one, but you're always trying to see, like, is there a better form? Is there sure. a cleaner form? Nowadays, we have a lot of those early questions answered. We don't have to go through all the same steps that we used to. Um, but there's always the possibility that we could refine something and make it better. If we're not doing that in medical science, we're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's rare that we've reached—where have we reached the pinnacle? Podcasting. Mm-hmm. Well, I meant in medical science. But. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, so they had continued to develop and perfect the vaccine, and the one that was released in the 70s is the one that we still have in use today. Um, it, again, is you have not probably, statistically, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have not received a vaccine against anthrax. You may have because people in specific occupations will. Like, now it is more targeted for members of the military because of this long history of the use of anthrax as a biological weapon. Um, it's also uh, specifically people who work in um, certain jobs where they come in contact with animals, oh, like yeah. certain veterinarians and things may have had an anthrax vaccine or um, animal handlers in different occupations, um, people who work in labs with anthrax, obviously. Yeah, yeah. that'd be, <laughs> yeah, I would ask for that day one, I think. But it's not, it's not a standard vaccine given to everybody in medicine, certainly. Like, I have never had an anthrax vaccine. Um, you know, most of us have not. Uh, but well, there is one that is available. Okay. Well, I'll, do I need it? No. Justin, do you have any of the jobs that I'll I just— take any vaccine. Give them, give them all to me. Yeah, I mean, like— I want to walk the world unafraid. <laughs> don't get me wrong. If vaccines were 
if all vaccines were just widely available, easily, cheaply, freely, even better, freely available to everybody all the time, I would have no problem just getting all vaxxed up against whatever. Just whenever why not? Just in case. Whatever you got. Just in case. I mean, I think the the issue is more the supply, like because so much stuff is profit driven. Mm-hmm. Especially for some of these vaccines, there are only so many, and so from from a health justice standpoint, I am not at risk of anthrax, <laughs> at least that I know. Yeah. <laughs> at least high risk, uh, and so it would not make sense for me to utilize that limited resource. Um, now, in a perfect world, it would not be a limited resource. But yeah. anyway, so uh, in two thousand one. This is what you had referenced at the beginning of the show. Yeah. There was a an attack of um, a bioterrorism weapon using anthrax in the United States following the attacks of September 11th. That was very scary. It was uh, Amerithrax is what it was dubbed. Um, that was the code name of the FBI investigation. Did you know that? No. <laughs> it's not very good. There were uh, letters. It sounds like a company that comes to your house and fixes your windshield. Amerithrax is what the FBI called it. Uh, there were letters that were laced with anthrax that were um, mailed to people. All in all, uh, five uh, U.S. citizens were killed um, as a result of these attacks. Seventeen became sick. It was it, it's hard the worst to, biological attack in our history. And it's hard to, if you didn't live through it, to really appreciate how we were already in a pretty fractured state, like mentally. Mm-hmm. Everyone is processing the idea that terrorism is something that like we have to be concerned about here on a wide scale. And then this attack happens and it's something that's so innocuous. It's like open the mail and whatever. So in the in the it was a very, very big deal because we kind of thought, is this going to be our life for now on? Like are we just constantly going to be under threat of, you know, terrorist attacks so well and it's and it's the i mean i think that's the thing that's the other thing about biological weapons outside of how cruel getting someone sick is the idea that you would open a piece of mail and that letter i mean like these letters said things like we have this anthrax you die now because by the time you are reading these words ostensibly you've already inhaled what's inside Mm -hmm. and that I mean, I think the fear that you can create with that kind of weapon is so, I it's just, I mean, it's, it's horrifying to consider. It's inhumane. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it wasn't until 2010 that that um, investigation was formally concluded. Um, it took a long time to, like, trace the origins of the strains of anthrax and, like, do the proper testing to figure all that out. Um, they brought charges against uh, Dr. Bruce Ivins, but he... Um, he died by suicide before the charges could be filed. So, um, and then the case was closed a couple years later. Um, I will say, like, other than these bioterrorism episodes, there have been a couple unique ways um, that people can get. these are, And these are for all of you out there who might be studying medicine. These are your board questions. Uh, a drum maker from New York City, mm. yes, someone who makes drums, got sick uh, while on tour with a dance troupe. It was in 2006. He had just returned from Africa. He had gotten some goat skins that he was making drums out of. Um, he had processed them to remove the hair, but he didn't use any chemicals to kill the germs. And stretching the goat skins over, he uh, he came in contact with hair and dust particles and anthrax particles and inhaled anthrax and got inhalation anthrax um, 
from making these drums. So if there is a drum maker who gets sick on a board question, think anthrax. All right. I had one of those questions once on one of the many exams I've taken. Um, There was another woman who got sick in 2009 while attending a drumming circle. Got anthrax. Somebody hates these drums, guys. (laughs) We got to stay out of drumming circles, okay? Be smart out there. And and like I said, the newest form, the thing that um, I had a personal interest in and kind of keeping track of is in 2010 in Germany, they started to see- For her her, uh, (laughs) Batman-style wall of monitors that she uses to keep tabs. Uh, In 2010, they saw an outbreak of, well, not an outbreak. I shouldn't say outbreak because it's not contagious, right? They saw multiple cases of a newer newer form of anthrax injection-based anthrax, meaning that um, something in the in the materials that you're using to inject a substance is has become contaminated with anthrax, and then when you inject it, you you know contract the disease, um, which which would be possible if you didn't have clean materials when you were injecting. Um, so that that is, I, I found some scattered case reports on that, but I thought that was an interesting thing to. I specifically tend to take care of people who use injection drugs, so that is that is of interest to me. So that is the, that's the history of anthrax. Um, it is. Bioterrorism is bad. Bioweapons are bad. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, you heard it here first, folks. There's not a lot of room for equivocation there. Bioweapons are bad. Before, you know, I had to, uh, I, I did a, a military tropical medicine course when I was doing my residency. I'm not in the military. I'm a civilian, but I was able to access it through my residency program, through my global health track. And but there was a we specifically. Lived in, we lived inside Chevy Chase for a month. Mm-hmm. It was wild. The place. Um, but the but specifically, uh, there was one lecture on bioterrorism and bioweapons and that kind of thing. And they had to, like, I remember they came up to me the day before and they were like, um, we just wanted to let you know you will be allowed to attend the lecture tomorrow. We checked you out. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, what? What did uh-huh. you do? Which is, and totally makes sense. No problem yeah. with that. Yeah. But I didn't know anybody was doing any checking on me to make sure I could attend the lecture. They're so always I, checking. So I did attend a lecture specifically on bioterrorism. Um and I have learned from it, and I hope I have helped pass that knowledge on to you. Was it classified, though? No. Okay, good. No, it's for educational purposes. Uh, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Thanks to the taxpayers for use of their song, Medicines, as the intro and outro of our program. Hey, I saw something. Did you know we have a book? It's called The Sawbones Book. It was illustrated by Sydney Sibling Taylor, and it's very good. You can get it wherever there's books. Um, the, the newest version has uh, – the paperback has, like, stuff about quarantine and – COVID and things like that. That is going to do it for us for this week. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. As always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.